You're listening to the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. Whether this is your first time joining me or your hundredth, thank you for being here and being a part of this important conversation. In June 2018, I was tired of being asked by the intuitive eating groups to take my conversations about intermittent fasting elsewhere. At the same time, the conversation in the intermittent fasting community wasn't addressing the emotional and spiritual needs of my IF lifestyle. Before I knew it, the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group was up and running, and I started this podcast. I am super excited to bring you the personal stories of folks who are combining intuitive eating and intermittent fasting successfully, and really creating lives that bring them joy and meaning. Hi everyone, Andrea here. And today I am chatting with Jen Stevens. Jen is the author of The Delay Don't Deny. Uh, I don't even know what the subtitle is. I should have maybe clarified that, but I know it as Delay Don't Deny, or in the Facebook groups, we call it DDD. And, um, and I learned about her through my wife, who started intermittent fasting back in January. And I've you know read her book and joined the Facebook groups. And um, I'm really excited to be chatting with her today specifically as it pertains to how Jin sort of merges intuitive eating concepts and intermittent fasting for her life. Uh, so thank you so much, Jin, for agreeing to chat with me today. Well, I am so glad to be here. And the subtitle is Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. So it's Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. Yes. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you for clarifying that detail for me. <laughs> and notice the word diet is nowhere in the title. And that is on purpose. So say a little bit more about that. Why why did you make that decision to do that? Well, the idea of a diet, you know, we we have all these years of baggage. We probably all do. All your your listeners do. I do. And we, or at least for me, I always thought of a diet as something you did, then you got to your goal, and then you stopped it. Then you went on and did something else <laughs> for the rest of your mm-hmm. life, right? But with intermittent fasting, it's a lifestyle and not a diet because you're not stopping it. You're not going on to something else. You're making the choice that this is going to be the way you live your life and it's what you do instead of a, a temporary fix. I think the word diet is just so associated with with temporary. Sure. So um, you mentioned a little bit, but I'm curious for you, like you mentioned that it's something that you you know, can do indefinitely that are fasting, but are there additional distinctions for you between like what you're doing with it intermittent fasting as a lifestyle versus how it would be approached if it were just a diet? Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do because I lived the intermittent fasting diet mindset for years before I finally realized it was going to be a lifestyle. So in 2009, I first heard about intermittent fasting and immediately it seemed like such a great way to be able to still enjoy the foods you love while, you know, also being able to meet your weight loss goals. That was really all I had in my mind at the time. I wanted to Mm -hmm. lose weight. I wanted to be smaller. I wanted to look good again. That was it. It was the old old diet mentality stuck in my head. So I kept starting and stopping intermittent fasting over that time period I would try it for a couple weeks, and then I would stop and just eat all the food. And then I would start again, and then I would stop because I was still thinking it was going to be this temporary Band-Aid that would solve my problem. Then I got to goal weight, and then I would just be magically thin forever and eat how I wanted to, and you know, life would be fabulous. Yes. So really, it wasn't until I started – I actually got all the way up to 210 pounds by – following that philosophy of start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. And I also tried a million other diets along the way throughout that whole period and just kept getting heavier and heavier. Um, mm-hmm. I also, you, you may not know this about me because I don't talk about it in Delay, Don't Deny, but I tried intuitive eating on its own, not coupled with intermittent fasting, right before I reached my highest weight ever. Like I read all the books on intuitive eating and I was like, this actually, you know, I don't want to have to think about this so hard. I just want to, to eat intuitively. Mm -hmm. And for me, 
you know, you're supposed to ask yourself the question, am I hungry? Unfortunately, I think my hormones and my appetite signals were so out of whack that the answer to the question, are you hungry or am I hungry was always yes. So, mm-hmm. so I kept eating yep. and eating. You know, I did all the things you're supposed to do when you're, you know, starting intuitive eating. I, I stopped thinking of foods as good or bad. I stopped judging the feeling of hunger and I just ate and I just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, um, but I still had that in the back of my head when I finally, in 2014, reached 210 pounds and got back into intermittent fasting. I didn't forget all the things I heard about intuitive eating. And, and I I wasn't ready to put the two together yet, but mm-hmm. later I was able to do that. Okay. So what does that um, what does that look like for you? Like when I think of intuitive eating, I think of like getting rid of rules and all of that kind of stuff. So how do you sort of merge the intuitive eating piece with your intermittent fasting on a day-to-day basis, whether it be like your, your exercise routine or your food choices or your eating window? Tell me a little bit about how that all incorporates for you. Okay. Let me, let me backtrack a little bit and tell you um, how I got to this point because it wasn't a short journey (laughs) at all. Okay. And I initially was able to lose 75 pounds with intermittent fasting, but I still had that diet mindset. This was in 2014, 2015. I was not even close to being intuitive with it. I was still in the, you know, restrictive mindset and good food, bad food mindset. And I really was trying to control everything myself, you know, instead of trusting Hmm. my body. So Mm -hmm. I probably didn't start really starting to trust my body until 2016. You know, I hit my my goal weight in 2015, but I still wasn't quite ready um, for, for letting myself trust myself. Really what turned the corner for me, two things. First of all, I read, and, and both, of the, both of these were books by two of my favorite authors. One of them was The Obesity Code, Dr. Jason Fung. When I read that in 2016, which was right when it came out, I learned about how um, an insulin release can happen from a sweet taste. And I had been using stevia very heavily during, during my fasting time. And so I stopped the stevia and, and started having black coffee. Then immediately fasting became easy instead of a struggle. So that was like mm. step one that I needed instead of having to white knuckle it, you know, to my eating window every day, constantly fighting the feeling of I need to eat, I need to eat. Suddenly, with what I call the clean fast, it, it became effortless for me to fast. So that was step mm-hmm. one. Step two, I read um, Dr. Bert Herring's second book. He wrote the Fast Five Plan, which was his first book. And I had been following, you know, loosely a five-hour window. But when I read his second book, which is about appetite correction, it all came together for me. He talks about how once your hormones are back in balance, your hunger and satiety hormones, you no longer have to count calories or focus on consciously stopping what you're doing because your body tells you when it's time to stop eating. So Hmm. that just was like my aha moment for, okay, so I can be an intuitive eater within my eating window because first of all, I'm able to get easily to my eating window now that I am fast and clean. And second of all, I can trust my body to tell me that I've had enough food because my hormones are back into balance thanks to what Dr. Herring calls appetite correction. So those Hmm. two things together, just it was kind of like where the magic hit for me. And so I actually did struggle for a while with worrying some days that I was eating not enough and other days worrying I was eating too much. Mm -hmm. And I had to just get that out of my head completely. And Mm -hmm. and so this was back, like I said, in 2016, and now it's 2018, and I've been living what I would really call an intuitive eating, intermittent fasting lifestyle, you know, for a couple years, and I don't struggle with weight maintenance. It just just happens. It's easy. Mm -hmm. It's finally as easy as the people in the intuitive eating books always said it should be, but Mm -hmm. for me, the, the practice of adding the intermittent fasting and the clean fast brought those things together. I think that's what I needed to balance my hormones. Yeah, there was um, so much great information in what you just said. And thank you so much for giving 
me and my listeners a little bit more insight into the intuitive eating piece because I didn't know that that was something that you had officially tried. And so that that makes this conversation even a little more interesting because you have that right. you know sort of background knowledge. There's a couple questions that came up as I was listening to you. You mentioned appetite correction as being something that was one of the game changers for you. And I'm curious, like how long it took for you to have the sense that you had that? Honestly, for me, it's it's hard to to disconnect, you know, the different stages because I was doing so many things along the way here and there and and was I was not fasting clean for so much of it. So, you know, I was mm-hmm. using the stevia. So I think that that was, that was interfering. But by the time I understood about having the clean fast and then I read Appetite Correction, I, I think I already had it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think I already had the, I I already was experiencing appetite correction. Like, let's say someone starts day one and they've never done intermittent fasting before and they're new to it and they start the clean fast. They may not, according to Dr. Herring, it may take them three weeks before they feel appetite correction. That's what he says over and over again. Now, in the real world with my, you know, thousands of Facebook support group members, it actually takes some people a lot longer than three weeks. I think if someone Mm is... Um, severely insulin resistant, or if they've um, had a lot of dieting history, it might take you know two months for someone to mm-hmm. really be able to trust their appetite. So mm-hmm. people may overeat at first. Um, they may still not trust that they're going to one day not feel the need to overeat within their eating window. Mm-hmm. It takes a while. And so, yeah. And so what is that? Um, I realize this is your personal experience. Um, so I, I understand that with the question, but I'm curious, like, if you could describe, like, how the appetite correction piece feels for you, both when it comes to when you open your window and then when you decide you're full at the end of a meal. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Yesterday, for example, I opened my window earlier than normal. I was hungrier. It was like 3.30. I usually open my window at some point after 4. But yesterday at about 3.30, I was like, you know, I'm hungry in a different kind of way today. So Hmm. I opened my window at about 3.30 and I had some chips and guacamole and it really hit the spot. (laughs) And then I waited and I didn't eat dinner till about seven. And then I had a good dinner. And the way it works for me is I just, I I, I can feel that if I keep eating, I'm going to be too full. Like my body is like, Hmm. all right, you're good now. So I've learned to, to listen. And even though the food is delicious, and sometimes I'm like, oh, darn, <laughs> I, I'm full. <laughs> but it's a matter of listening to that because the times that I, I don't, and, you know, I'm not perfect. There are days I don't. But when I don't listen, I regret it later because I feel mm-hmm. overly full. And I mm-hmm. don't like the feeling of feeling overly full. So last mm-hmm. night I had, it was chicken and it had, I had some rice on the side and I had this um, the squash and um, I didn't eat all the chicken. And I was like, yep, I've had enough now. I don't I don't want to eat any more of that. There's also a mm-hmm. signal. Um, I don't know if you've seen me posting it on the Facebook group. I, I made a post about it maybe a week or so ago. Are you familiar with the sigh as a satiety signal? I did see that you posted that. And I, I wasn't familiar with that. And I hadn't heard of that before. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? All right. Somebody shared an article that this was in, I don't know, a year or two ago, and I read it. And I've not been able to find the original article again. So that that's kind of sad. There's an article that mentions it, but it's not the original. It was The original article was a little more lengthy. But it stuck with me and I remembered it. And the, the point of it is your body has a mechanism in place where while you're eating, if you all of a sudden <sighs> get this feeling, this sigh, that may be your body's satiety signal kicking in, telling you you've had enough. So I was hmm. at a restaurant with my husband a couple weeks ago, and I was having this delicious cheeseburger and fries. I mean, it was so good. It was like had brie, and I mean, it was such a good cheeseburger, <laughs> like an egg. It was like the best. And I still had probably, I don't know, a quarter of the cheeseburger left, and it was absolutely delicious. And then all of a sudden, I felt... I felt that sigh. I'm like, okay, there it was. <laughs> and whenever I feel it, I, I'm like, okay, I got to stop. And so I stopped eating and I gave it a few minutes to see if, I, and yep, sure enough, then I felt that I had had enough to eat. 
And I was a little sad, like I said, because the sensation of eating that burger was so delicious. But yeah, I knew how I would have felt if I'd have kept going. I would have been yeah. like overly full, and instead, I, I was just perfect. Yeah, that's that is the that perfect sense of fullness right. is is really really good. And I mean, you know, like you said, there are times when you may choose to overeat, but I think the important thing is that it is a choice, right? And it comes with weighing the consequence of being a little uncomfortable. Exactly. Um, and you can, you know, you can make that decision from a from a conscious place. Um, so one of the intuitive eating principles is not using food to cope with your emotions. At least the way I always sort of preface it is at least not on a regular basis. So I'm curious, like, how often you find yourself turning to food for those reasons that would be sort of not officially intuitive. Do you still fall into those sorts of situations every once in a while? Probably sometimes. Not really. I'm not really a person who eats to soothe an emotion, but I am Mm. more of a celebratory eater. For example, I will decide to eat lunch one day because we're – at the beach and the food looks good, right? <laughs> I'm celebrating mm-hmm. with food. And so mm-hmm. the, the emotion of, of being happy is a reason I'll sometimes choose to eat because it's like, hey, we're having a party now. We're all going to eat. And I'll, I'll do that, um, that choice on some occasions. But like I said, I don't really ever choose to eat because I feel like I, I, don't, I don't eat for emotional re- negative reasons anymore. Mm. I probably mm-hmm. used to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a blessing that you don't have that in the back of your mind as something you did recently because I think it's one of the things that I mean I've struggled with and I a lot of the folks in my Facebook group talk about struggling with the emotional eating and I think it's one of the harder things to to break as far as the you know unhealthy habits are concerned. Yeah, I, I do think I used to do that, like I said, but mm-hmm. I'm so much more in tune with how I feel and eating foods they, they don't I don't know it, it I don't it doesn't make me feel like emotionally better I, I'm more into mm. I'm eating because of the I don't know it's hard to explain I don't know if I put it into words very well but yeah I do think I've broken that cycle for myself and I, I mean I think from just what you've shared like it feels to me like you have an appreciation for food for reasons other than how it's going to change your mood. Right. Like it sounds like you appreciate the food for its taste yes, or for how it makes your body feel from a nutritional standpoint. Exactly. Which when you, when you look at it in that way, you don't necessarily think about it when you think of yourself being stressed out. Like it, it has sort of has its place in your world. Um, so yeah, I mean, that makes sense why you wouldn't necessarily, um, use it in that way. I'm curious. Um, like I know in your book you talk about how you had a period of time where you felt if I recall correctly you felt like your clothes were fitting you a bit differently and you hadn't weighed yourself in a while and you weighed yourself and you hadn't the, the scale hadn't gone down in as much uh to the extreme that you were expecting and so you talk about how you got rid of your scale. I'm curious uh to hear a little bit more about that and cuz I see that as part of like a part of the intuitive eating journey, right? Like getting rid of that external thing. Right. Can you share a little bit about that and maybe any other tools that you've gotten rid of along the way as you've transitioned to a more intuitive way of life? Yes, I would love to, love to share that. And actually that story of throwing the scale away, that's that was on my podcast and I think I've shared it in the Facebook group. That is not in Delay Don't Deny, but it is a oh. very, yeah, because it happened after, <laughs> after I wrote the book. Um, I hit my goal, like I said, in 2015 and I continued to weigh myself for the first year of, of what I call maintenance. I didn't stop weighing myself daily until I got to 2016. Um, I'm a big believer if you are going to weigh weigh daily, notice the fluctuations, but don't let them get to you. And then once a week, um, find your weekly average of the last seven Mm -hmm. days and only worry about the weekly average. So, you know, I know that that is a better way than, than letting the fluctuations, you know, get into your head, but because they really did. But after I'd been Mm -hmm. maintaining for a year, even though I knew instinctually, mathematically, I knew that my weight was not going up. Anytime the scale would go up, it would send me into a panic. 
Mm. And I would. And what did that panic look like for you? Like, did like how did did you have behavior yes. changes or a thought process? Tell me a little yes, about that. Yes, it, it would cause me to start having diety thinking and disordered thinking. Like, if my weight popped back up, you know, four pounds overnight, I would be like, oh my gosh, this is awful. I'm gaining all the weight back. And then I would think I needed to diet and, oh, I need to restrict the foods I'm eating. And this is really terrible. And so um, I was like, you know, I'm tired of, of having these thoughts. My clothes are fine. I know how the clothes are fitting me. I need to go buy that. So this was mm-hmm. in 2016. I stopped weighing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't weigh from for 14 months from 2016 until June of 2017. Now, in that period of time, I dropped two jean sizes in my favorite brand of jeans. I love the loft, by the way. That's my favorite <laughs> favorite brand of jeans. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing mm-hmm. a size 4 at one point. And then I had to go down to a size 2 at the loft. And I had to go down to a 0 at the loft in their jeans. And so I had gotten smaller. So I was like, you know what? I think I've probably dropped another 10 pounds since the last Mm. time I weighed. And so I was like, I'm going to get on the scale and I'm going to see, and I'm going to see this weight. And I predicted what it was going to be. Then I pulled out the scale and I got on the scale. It was down two pounds from the last time I had weighed. And Hmm. I was so mad, which is ridiculous. And I knew that it was ridiculous, but I was like, disappointed and I was mad that I was disappointed. I was mad at myself because I knew Mm. my body had continued to change over those 14 months. Like most intermittent fasters, I had continued to lose fat and built muscle. And so I was leaner than I had Mm -hmm. been. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know how much fat I actually lost, but my body was different. Clothes were fitting Mm. me very, very differently. And so I was like, you know, this is nuts. Why am I giving power to this scale? And it was a very expensive scale. It was one of those that automatically syncs with an app and it had all of my weight Mm -hmm. since I bought it in 2012. And I Mm -hmm. took that scale and I took the batteries out and I threw it in the garbage and I was like, no more scale for me. So Hmm. for me, I prefer to go buy my clothes and how my clothes fit. Sometimes I'll measure around my waist with a measuring tape just to, you know, to make sure it's kind of, you know, as long as my clothes fit and my weight waist measurement is not going up, then I know that I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. But I and I saw a, yeah. Go ahead. I saw a picture in one of the Facebooks groups about um, didn't you call it your like your honesty dress? You bought a new dress. I did, and I'm <laughs> going to wear that tonight. We're going out to dinner, and I'm going to wear that dress tonight. But it's um, it's you know, it's a a white dress. <laughs> you can't hide a lot in a white dress. So no, and it, it fits perfectly. And if that dress ever did not fit perfectly you know, that would be a sign I had put some weight on. But the thing is, I have not yet had that occur (laughs) Mm. over the years of maintenance. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm hungrier and sometimes I'm not as hungry. And I think that my body has developed this new set point where I am now. And I just listen to the days I need to eat more. I eat more. Yesterday was one of those days. Mm -hmm. And um, the day before that, though, I hadn't really eaten that much at all. So I think it balances Mm -hmm. out. I'm curious because uh, I know you do have a lot of uh, folks in the various groups and, you know, you see a lot of the conversations and do you feel like there's particular hurdles that a lot of folks encounter as far as thinking about like that transition from diet to way of life? Like, what do you see most common in the folks that are are getting started in the IF stuff? Well, the thing about intermittent fasting is it is completely different from any diet that you've done before and the way that it works. You know, we all know that when you start a diet, usually the very best weight loss you have is at the beginning. Like the first month you lose weight very quickly and then it starts to slow down and then you have plateaus and then people have weight regain and then, you know, you're going back up. That's what most diets do. Intermittent fasting is really like the 180 from that. When people start intermittent fasting, it's actually very common to not lose any weight at all at first, even gain a little bit. And that is really, really hard for people who are like, wait a minute, I started this new plan and I'm gaining weight and I'm eating a lot of food and I'm eating more than I should be and I'm you know, wanting to overeat. And what's wrong? And am I the person this is Mm -hmm. not going to work for? And then thank Mm -hmm. goodness we now have, you know, thousands and thousands of group members who have been down this path. And so 
instead of me just saying, don't worry, this is normal, you know, 40 people can tell them, you know, in that conversation that it's normal. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody will say, yeah, I gained eight pounds the first month, but now I'm at my goal because I trusted Mm -hmm. the process. And so the whole idea, one of our mantras is trust the process. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to trust the process when you're not seeing results, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, you're used to a diet where if they, if they just, you know, quote, cut calories, like they did before, they might see really fast results. And so Mm -hmm. they think that they need to go back to those diet behaviors or like immediately Mm -hmm. change everything they're eating or, you know, cut out all carbs or cut out all fat or cut out all fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Instead, you have to realize you're doing something new in your body hormonally. And Mm -hmm. this is, you know, like turning a, a battleship. It doesn't, you know, happen overnight. You've got to let these changes happen in your body and you do have to trust the process. And if you've given it, you know, two months, three months, and you're not seeing any type of appetite correction and you're not seeing any kind of um, feeling of satisfaction while you're eating and you're still having trouble, that's when it's time to start tweaking and thinking about, all right, you know, is what I'm eating possibly a problem? Hmm. And, And my advice would be, For anyone who's wondering about, you know, do I need to change what I eat? If you start eliminating overly processed foods and start going towards just real foods that your great, 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 great grandparents would recognize as food, I think that makes a huge difference in satiety signals and the way your hormones work. Like even for me now, um, I went out to eat with a friend on Monday and I didn't have a lot of vegetables in my meal. It was pizza and it was delicious, but it wasn't a lot of nutrient-dense food. Mm -hmm. And I was satisfied in my stomach, like I'd had enough. But then I got home and I was just like munching my way through the kitchen because my body, you know, our bodies don't count calories. Our bodies look for nutrients. So if someone's having trouble, they they may need to consider feeding your body things that are nutrient-dense, not because the other foods are bad, like the pizza I ate was bad, but my body wanted the nutrients. And so I, I mm-hmm. needed more nutrients that day. And so I was continually searching for more food. Hmm. You've talked a little bit about um, satisfaction and satiety. And um, remind me, like, what, how would you explain to sat- satiety to someone who's maybe not familiar with that term? Okay. It's basically just the... F- you're satisfied after you're eating, but not stuffed. That's the goal. You've you've had okay. a nice meal, and you feel like like ah, you know everything's good in your body, and you you don't feel like you need to keep munching. You feel like you can stop, and you just feel like you're at a, a place of peace with ending the eating experience at that moment. Okay, and I'm curious: Have you had experiences where, I mean, it. it it sounds like with the pizza example, it sounds like you were satisfied with your pizza, but that it was like a nutritional sort of thing. Have you ever had experiences where you're eating a particular meal and you find that you're you're just truly not satisfied with it? And like, what does that mean for you as the meal progresses? Does that make sense? Yes. Well, like the pizza, I was physically satisfied. Like I knew I had enough food in my body, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't like satisfied, satisfied. That's where the, I didn't really have the satiety from the pizza because I wasn't, I like, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was finished eating. Also, if Mm -hmm. I'll have a disappointing meal where the food wasn't very good, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, this pizza was delicious, but just, I kept searching and finally I realized what I was doing. And so by Mm -hmm. the time I realized what I was doing. I was overly full. So I was like Mm. unsatisfied and overly full at the same time. Okay. So that that was a lesson. And, you know, I'm still learning lessons even this far into the process. And so the next day I was like, I'm going to eat a lot of vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Do it it at the front end so that you're not miserable later. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something – like as I've been sort of exploring this, I've learned that I feel best when I open my window with vegetables right? and like a really high quality fat because that helps, you know, it sustains me 
And it also helps me meet some of that nutritional need. I'm curious, like have the the food choices you make during your eating window evolved as your duration in the intermittent fasting lifestyle has has increased? It is really night and day. I was just talking to my husband about this um, earlier today. We have a, a policy in my Facebook groups that you are not supposed to criticize what other people are choosing to eat. I mean, even if they're like having, you know, what you think of as the worst food in the universe, that's what they're eating. You're not supposed to criticize it. That's just what we do. So this guy was all bent out of shape because we told him not to do that, and <laughs> he kept doing it. So he was removed from the group because we have a zero tolerance for that. Mm. And so I was talking to my husband about it. I'm like, you know, think about me. When I first was was doing intermittent fasting, and even, you know, as recently as 2016, I ate a lot of fast food. I would drive through on the way home. I would go to the grocery store and pick up, you know, one of my favorite grocery store meals was they had this fried chicken and they had this potato salad and then I would get that with some slaw and some rolls and we would eat it. And it was just delicious to me at the time. Um, I actually tried to buy that potato salad again at one point this spring. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they've changed their potato salad. This is so terrible. And my husband's <laughs> like, no, this is how it always was. <laughs> So I no longer like the taste of those foods. Like I've started cooking, Mm -hmm. you know, I cook at home and I would pretty much rather eat at home than go out to eat because I think my food tastes better, but I don't like the taste of overly processed foods. But this is completely 180 to how I used to be. And I didn't change it because someone told me to, or because I read it in a book. And that's the Mm -hmm. thing I think that's the most powerful. And I was trying to get this guy to understand it, but he was just so mad that he couldn't tell people what to eat, that he wasn't hearing me. But Mm -hmm. it's almost universal in the intermittent fasting world that people do gravitate towards more healthy choices over time. As you become more in tune with your body's signals, you understand, gosh, I'm craving kale or something like that. And and it's shocking because I never ate anything like that before. And now it's what I Mm. want. Um, Mm. And I really, like I've already, we're going out to eat tonight. Like I said, I've perused the menu and I've already figured out some things I want to eat. I wanted to make sure they had something that was going to meet my needs at the restaurant. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted to get good food. Yeah. Well, and you do, um, you've talked about that you do an OMAD and one meal a day sort of approach. How does that like impact your choices? Because like you said, like you needed to look at the menu to make sure that you were going to get your needs met. So like when you were doing that perusal, um, when you were doing that window shopping, what kinds of things were you looking for? Yeah. And I want to explain my one meal a day approach. And this is a very confusing thing to a lot of people because there a lot of, you know, people love rules. We talked about, you know, mm-hmm. diet rules. And so yesterday was actually the third anniversary of our one meal a day um, IF lifestyle Facebook group. We were the only one meal a day group on Facebook for like, I don't know, one year, two years. It was a long time that we were the only one. And now a bunch have popped up. But mm-hmm. because we were the only ones really doing this, our approach to one meal a day is a lot more relaxed. And, you know, I consider myself one meal a day within a five hour window. But a mm-hmm. lot of newer definitions of what one meal a day you know, is supposed to look like have popped up most recently in the past 12 months where people seem to think it means you can only eat on one plate or you have to eat in one hour and, you know, you have to like restrict yourself in certain ways. And that's not how I practice it at all. Um, I have a Mm -hmm. chapter on this in Delay Don't Deny, which was published at the end of 2016 as 2017 rolled around. And for me, as long as you're eating one actual meal in your day, you're following one meal a day. And so people get confused. Like, how can you eat a meal for five hours? No, I'm not eating (laughs) a meal for five hours. But um, if you think about it, like if you go to a restaurant and you have an appetizer and then you might have a salad and then you might have dinner and then you might have dessert, you know, that's that's the same idea. You can have that Mm -hmm. same amount of food over a five-hour eating window. And it's still, you only had one actual meal. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. have two meals in that period of time. So mm-hmm. um, like last night, I opened my eating window, like I said, at about 3.30, and I had the chips and the guacamole. And then I didn't eat again until about 7, and then I had my my meal. Chips and guacamole is not a meal. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you went, my my rule of thumb, people say, well, what is a meal? I'm like, well, if you went to someone's house for dinner and that's what they served you, would you be like, thanks for the meal? No, you would know not to serve your guests guacamole and chips and consider that dinner. So we know what mm-hmm. a meal is. And mm-hmm. so as long as I'm eating one meal in a day, I consider myself to be following, you know, mostly a one meal a day lifestyle. But hmm. Sometimes I'll have two meals. Like if my husband and I are out and we decide to go to lunch at a special restaurant, we may have I may have two meals that day. But I generally mm-hmm. do feel like that's a little bit too much food. Mm-hmm. And you feel different. I, I do. Know I feel overly full. My mm-hmm. body doesn't like to feel overly full anymore. And so I'm not like making myself stick to this lifestyle because I think I have to. It's actually the way I feel best living my mm-hmm. life. Yeah, which is no, where the power great. is. The power is when you find a lifestyle that feels right, and you don't have to white knuckle it. Mm-hmm. Are there um, you, what you just said sort of led me to think of a, a really interesting question? And I'm like, have you encountered people for whom, like, they tried IF and they were doing the white knuckling thing, and like, then they just realized that it just really wasn't the right choice for them? I really feel like most people figure it out with thinking about what they're drinking during the fast. For example, I know somebody in the group, and she's been around for a long time, and she has realized that black coffee makes her starving during the fast. And when she eliminated it, the fast became effortless for her. She was like, oh my gosh, this is night and day. You know, black coffee Hmm. works great for me. And Black coffee is is fine during the fast for me. It helps me get through the morning. I enjoy the the you know the ritual of drinking my black coffee. But some people have to adjust what they're doing, like maybe stick to water only, and that really mm-hmm. helps. Now, are there people who still continue to white knuckle it during the fast and can't get to the um, the feeling of, of it being easy? If that is the case, I suspect that something is keeping them from getting into ketosis during the fast and there's something going mm-hmm. on in their body like they might have insulin resistance. Something is keeping them from from reaching the state of of really effective fat burning. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you're um, getting into ketosis during the fast, which means you're accessing your stored fat for fuel and your body then can take the energy and convert it into ketones for your brain to run on, then that that's where the fasting just really becomes easy. And so mm-hmm. are there some people that are not reaching that state? Yes. And then that would that would keep the fasting hard. And one mm-hmm. thing that that confuses a lot of people, you say the word ketosis and they're like, well, wait a minute, I'm not eating low carb. You know, I, I'm eating bread, I'm eating potatoes. How can I get into ketosis? And and that's a a long, more complicated answer. But yes, you can get into ketosis even while eating carbs in your eating window. During the fast, you get into ketosis because you're not um, – you go out of ketosis when you have your meal, right? But then you get back into it at some point during the fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know like there's a lot of people that I've seen lately that are doing a combination of like keto and intermittent fasting thinking that they have to pair together, but they don't. Like no. to your point, you can you can have carbs within your eating window. You can not restrict any food or – you know, sweets or whatever, like you don't have to cut those things completely out of your life, which for me, that's when this would be more of a diet. Right. Um, And so the fact that I can include those things, you know, based on my cravings and my satiety signals, and then still reap the benefits of IF because I am fasting. um, I don't know. That's where it's like the sweet spot where I can have, I can have my cake and eat it too. Right. Right. (laughs) Now, now for people who are severely insulin resistant, and they may have higher levels of circulating insulin all the time, even while fasting, and so that is just a curveball. Some people do find that they might need to make an adjustment temporarily to get their insulin levels down, and then they can gradually reintroduce all the foods that they love. So mm-hmm. that was just that caveat right there. And I have that in mm-hmm. the troubleshooting chapter of Delay, Don't Deny. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I personally tried low carb and I don't feel well eating that way. My body thrives on carbs. I feel better when I don't eat a lot of meat and I eat mostly carbs, you know, mostly mm-hmm. carbs from real foods, you know, rice, potatoes. I make mm-hmm. homemade bread. But for some people, they may need to make some changes in what they're eating because their body mm-hmm. needs that step to heal an underlying, you know, situation. 
with insulin resistance. Yeah, and, and that that was, um, I mean, I never officially got diagnosed with insulin resistance, but prior to this intuitive eating, intermittent fasting journey, I was on a very strict diet that had like no sugar, no sweeteners, no flour of any kind. It was really strict. Right. And at the end of that, like I, I got to a goal weight at six months and at that, that was when it became really intuitive for me to start skipping breakfast because I actually wasn't hungry first thing in the morning. And I think my body had to go through a healing process, which required that I, that I cut out some of those foods in the short term. Right. But now that I've reintroduced all of the things again, my cravings haven't come back. I'm not noticing like the major blood sugar spikes or drops that would have signaled to me prior that I would have needed to like, oh, I'm hungry again. Like I don't, you know, I can have a donut and like an hour later, like I'm still totally fine because my blood sugar didn't crash. Right. Um, and so, I, and I think, I, I, I think, I don't know if I saw it in a, in one of your Facebook group posts or in your book, but you talk about like, there might need to be short term modifications to your food choices for a little bit to help with that sort of healing process. But that, in many cases, you will be able to get those foods back into your diet with intention and mindfulness behind your choices. Exactly. That's that's right. And my, my second book, Feast Without Fear, goes into more about how our bodies are all different when it comes mm. to what foods work best for us. And then some people think, well, wait a minute then. If I have to change what I'm eating, isn't this just another diet? And I like to compare it to, you know, my, my one of my sons has a shellfish allergy. He cannot eat shellfish because he has a bad response to that. His body mm -hmm. cannot handle shellfish. So you may be in a point right now where your body can't handle a lot of refined carbs right now because you've got a lot of insulin resistance and you're going to have to maybe make some different choices for a while until you can reverse that process. Then you can start mm -hmm. adding things back in. And I, mm -hmm. I talk about this in, in Feast Without Fear about how our bodies are all different when it comes to how our bodies respond to the foods. And it's mm -hmm. important to understand that. And that doesn't mean that you're having to do a restrictive diet. It means that you're becoming even more intuitive with how your body responds to food. And you're choosing mm -hmm. foods that support health for you. And those foods are not going to look the same as the foods that support health for me. For example, mm -hmm. I don't feel well when I eat a whole lot of meat anymore. I, I've, I've realized that with, with intermittent fasting. I do well with, with beef. You know, hamburgers are better for me, believe it or not. <laughs> I don't feel as, as heavy from that. But if I eat a meal with lots of bacon, I will have a stomach ache. Hmm. So I, I learned to avoid that. And so, you know, I could write like a diet plan where people eat hamburgers and don't eat bacon. But that would be ridiculous because that's my body. <laughs> you know, you may be the exact opposite. Maybe a hamburger makes your stomach hurt, but you could eat bacon, you know, all the time. Mm. I am. Um, I <laughs> that's really interesting. And I there'd be a lot of people who would not sign up for never having bacon. And yeah. I think my family is, is among that group. <laughs> I love bacon and I can have a little bit of bacon. But like yeah. you know, if I make a um a meal, like for example, I, I made a homemade pizza that was topped with prosciutto and like it was delicious. And I had a horrible stomach ache after eating it. And I'm like, well, there's, I knew that. <laughs> so I can eat a little bit of prosciutto, but I can't eat like a ton of it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I, um, I wanted to ask you something. I'm curious how, like, I'm sure, well, I'm assuming that you, you know, go to the doctor for regular checkups. And you mentioned throwing out the scale. Like, I'm curious if you've gone so far as to, you know, request that the doctor not weigh you or anything like that. Like, cause you know, if weight would still be a trigger for you, for example, like are there are situations where you have to still navigate that. I realize that's going back to like 10 minutes ago, Yeah, but I had wanted to ask that, um, as something that's sort of relevant to the scale conversation. Okay. I'm probably going to, your, your, your listeners are going to be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is true. But I have not been to the doctor since <laughs> 2015 when I had the flu. <laughs> I've not been sick. I haven't needed to go to the doctor. So I just feel so good. I, I know I should go and get a checkup, but 
I used to go to the doctor several times a year, like for real. I would go to the doctor several times a year because I got frequent ear infections. I would get mm. also, you know, I would get strep throat. Mm-hmm. And I realized recently I have not been to the doctor since 2015. So I need to go to the doctor because <laughs> I I just haven't had a reason to go. So, well, I guess. Um, Don't do um, as I do, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of mentally preparing you for the decision that you'll have to make when it comes to the scale at the doctor's office. I think I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. Yeah. So I, the true story, just because just, I had a doctor's appointment, like it was a mandatory follow-up from a, from a medical procedure that I had had. And if I had not looked at the scale, they still would have printed it on my printout. Oh, and, and so I was like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a wrench and things. So I don't know. I'm just, you know, different. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to wrap up. And um, but I wanted to give you like I know from the, the Facebook groups that you've you've recently put out some other resource. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that and any other projects that you've currently got going on. All right. Well, I've got. um a couple of different workbook type um, products out right now that you can find on Amazon. And of course, I was a teacher for 28 years. So my um, younger son took a look at one of them and he said, that looks very teachery. And I'm like, well, okay, there's a reason (laughs) I was a teacher. But one of them is called um, Delay, Don't Deny Life Journal. And I developed this because people do want to have a way to reflect on on what they're doing and, and figure out what works. We know journaling is powerful. I have journal prompts in Delay, Don't Deny, but this tool, this life journal that I created has so many different features. You can pick and choose what works for you. you know, if you mm-hmm. want to track your weight, there's a place for that. There's a chart that you can fill it in. There's a place that you can color in milestones that you, you set for mm-hmm. yourself. If you don't mm-hmm. want to check your weight, you don't have to. You could choose to use the measuring tool or you could use both. There's like a weekly planner section where you can reflect upon how you ate. Like, did you eat too much or not enough or just the right amount? And how long was your Mm -hmm. window? There's a section you can shade in your eating windows. There's a place you can record movement that you do, like a movement journal type of thing. There's a food Mm -hmm. journal, not for calculating macros and calories, but to reflect upon what you ate and how that food made you feel. So there's all Mm -hmm. sorts of different sections. I'm going to include a link to all of the stuff that we talked about in the show notes. So um, for anyone that's listening, they can tap into it there. So, um, so a spot to reflect on the food choices and how it made you feel. How it made you feel. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I also have a a new book that is called, um, delay, don't deny digging deeper. And this is actually a companion to use along with the original delay, don't deny you read delay, don't deny. And you also study within the digging deeper. It's a workbook. It's also available on a, in a Kindle version or an ebook version, but you would have to have a notebook Mm -hmm. to write in if you wanted to use it in that way. But basically it's designed to be used alone. If you like to study a book in more detail yourself, but you could also use this with a group of, of friends or um, some sort of support group. Like if you and Mm -hmm. And two friends are both trying to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle. You could get the Digging Deeper book and then like say, okay, this week we're going to focus on chapter one. So everybody read chapter one and then you do the Digging Deeper activities where you dig deeper into the content and you really, it's it's like journaling along with the book, like a book study kind of a program. Hmm. And is that, um, you may have said this and I missed it. Is it something that like if someone was interested in the digger deeper thing, they could buy that and it includes the text of the book? No, or no, it does. It do, yeah. You would need to have the book. It, it's a support for the book. Like if you've ever been in a book okay. club or I think back, you know, like, like a Sunday school group where you studied a book and, and there was like mm-hmm. a workbook that went with it or something. Mm-hmm. And so it, it okay. doesn't replace the initial book. You need to have both of them if, if you okay. want to use it, but it, it complements. It's like a, a study, a study guide almost 
for delay, okay. don't deny. But it, it's also, it's not just, you know, regurgitating info from delay, don't deny. It's asking you to reflect on how to apply that in your life. Like, for example, I have a chapter, um, Saturday is not a special occasion. It happens every week because mm-hmm. we tend to have that special occasion mindset. Oh, it's Saturday. Let's go, you know, throw caution to the wind. And so in the Digging Deeper workbook, I ask people to reflect upon, you know, what does this mean to you? How can you define a special occasion in your life? You know, what are special Mm -hmm. occasions versus just every weekend? And Mm -hmm. so it's just a way for people to, again, journal about it and think about it and apply the concepts into their own life. Because, you know, you can read Saturday is not a special occasion. It happens every week. But if you just read it and go on, you haven't really internalized the message. But if you take time with the Digging Deeper book, and you write about it and you reflect about it and even have a conversation with a friend about it, then that's going to be more just more likely to stick with you. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's learning. Our children learn better when they have a chance to talk about their learning with other people and summarize mm-hmm. their learning and write about their learning. And it's true for us as adults as well. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like from your descriptions just now, it sounds like the digging deeper is more of like a a study guide or questions to think about as you're reading versus the journal, which sounds like it's a place to sort of gather the things that are like your, like you mentioned your food and your exercise and all that kind of stuff. It's more of a a collection space for the details about your life. Okay. That's helpful. And I think that um, from your descriptions, folks will be able to decide if, if one or both of those are a good fit for them. Um, and so in, in closing, is there any sort of like, you know, based on all the stuff we've sort of talked about, do you have like one thought or two that you want to just throw out there to anyone that's listening? Well, just I want to reiterate the idea of of trusting the process and don't feel like when you're starting that you have to tweak everything all at once. You know, I talked about Dr. Burt Hearing earlier with his book, Appetite Correction, and he's got something that's very wise. He says, whenever you make a tweak or make a change, give it three weeks to see what happens. You know, we want instant. We want to do something and immediately we're rewarded by the scales going down or closer, you know, looser or whatever. We want instant results. Well, intermittent fasting is like nothing you've done before, especially if you're pairing it with intuitive eating and trying to become more in tune with your body's signals. You know, we didn't get disconnected from our bodies overnight and we do not reconnect overnight either. This mm. this is a process, you know, um, there, there was a saying that we say, fast, clean, trust the process. And if you just give it time and, and listen to your body, positive changes will occur. You know, mm. you look for those positive changes and see what they are. And then if you're not, you know, having any, any fat loss that you can tell, um, now it's time to start thinking about, well, how, what can I tweak? What can I do differently? Do I need a shorter window? Do I need a longer window? Do I need to mm-hmm. eat real foods? But just mm-hmm. have that mindset of experimentation and then give it time. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for everything you've shared and the insights you've given us into your, your journey and your life. And I, I know that folks listening to this are going to take a lot of really great information. And um, there's definitely tips that you shared that people will be able to apply. So, you know, thank you again for agreeing to chat with me. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation that will result from this interview. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. If you would like to join in a community of like-minded fasters, uh, come on over to the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group and join the conversation there. I look forward to seeing you. Just answer a few questions and I'll let you in the group and you can be a part of the amazing community that I'm building. Uh, And I look forward to seeing you soon.